me and Ryan have been texting back and forth for the last two minutes. A Walsh bomb dropped that Rick Carlisle also stepped down as the head coach for next season. Oh, so, oh my goodness. I just saw that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hello and welcome to the Friday, June 18th edition of the TV on Basketball Podcast with your host, TV. Hope you're all having a fantastic day and thank you for clicking on to watch or listen to today's episode. Before we start, i got to plug my other platforms. Remember to follow at TV on Basketball on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for updates on the podcast and for other awesome content. If you're on YouTube, remember to like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notification bell. That would be highly appreciated so you won't miss an episode. And for all the podcast listeners, subscribe, leave a review if you're on Apple, and just show your support on any way possible on any of the other networks. I have an awesome show lined up for you guys today. I've got some new guests on the podcast to talk some more NBA playoff basketball. I want to welcome Jalen. I want to welcome Ryan, two guys from the Hoop Talk podcast. How's it going? Welcome to the show, guys. Appreciate you for having us on TV. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for uh, allowing us to come on. Yeah. I've been knowing these guys for a while. I've been on their podcast actually a couple times over the last few months. If you guys haven't seen those already, I've been sharing it on my Instagram and stuff. You, um, so, yeah, I've been on this show a couple times. It's the first time on this show. Another new guest. It's going to be a great episode today. We're going to talk some NBA playoff basketball. Talk about the amount of news that's happened this week, which has been absolutely ridiculous, man. Like, not even like this week. I mean, like, how, like, what was your reaction to everything that happened yesterday? I woke up confused. I mean, the double injuries thing was like nuts. I guess it wasn't an injury with Chris Paul, but it was one of those things where you're just like, really? Like somehow you still get out of the second round and end up with something. Kawhi's was a little bit more noticeable just with the way he came out the game. It was something that I kind of felt might have happened, but that was interesting. And then the double coach fire. I was like, wow, the, the, the trigger is the trigger is happy. So far for some of these these teams that are already sent home in terms of pulling the plug on some of these coaches. Yeah, I mean, that was absolutely crazy. Ryan, what was your reaction when you saw all the news yesterday? Two coach firings, two star players that are going to be out for an indefinite period of time in the playoffs. I would say that this was a huge day for NBA news, but I almost can't believe what's going to happen in the playoffs because – who knows? Another coach could be fired after after the playoffs. I mean, there could be another star player that's in, that could join the injured uh, the injured list. A lot's gonna happen. There, there's a lot that could happen. Yeah, I know that was absolutely crazy yesterday, and it's not gonna be done, man. I mean, this Tuesday we have the draft lottery, so that's still coming up. It's gonna be absolutely insane, and we're gonna talk about a lot of things on today's show. It's gonna be action heavy. I'm going to have all the links to their podcast down in the description of this video and also in my link tree so you can go check them out. They're called the Hoop Talk Podcast. They've been doing this for a while now. You should go definitely check them out. They got some good conversations going on over there. But yeah, this is going to be a long episode, so we should really get right into this. We're going to talk about the playoff series that happened this week and just the games because even like outside of the NBA, obviously, like outside of the games, there's been some crazy, crazy news. But these games this week, man, have been equally as crazy. And we're going to start off with the most craziest one of the night. Yesterday, the 76ers-Hawks, oh my goodness, that, that that game is ridiculous. But we're also going to be covering Game 4 as well, where the Hawks won 103 to, to 100. The story of that game was basically that the Hawks just completely shut down Joel Embiid in that second half. 0 for 12 from the field. Like, 
that was just an insane, just like the 76ers just couldn't develop any offense and Joel Embiid just was completely stopped. He definitely looked hurt, but he just played absolutely horrible in that second half. And then on the Hawks side of things, I mean, John Collins, all those dunks in that third quarter, all just like bring all the momentum back to Atlanta. That was a crazy game. And then Trey Young also had a career high 18 assists. But yesterday, oh my goodness, but yesterday. Yesterday, the Philadelphia 76ers were up 26 points at one point. And they, and I think it was like a 20 point game, 22 point game with like two minutes left in the third. And they gave it all back to the Atlanta Hawks. And the Hawks ended up winning this game to take the 3 2 series lead, 109 106. A pair, um, some crazy stats from this one. I mean, Joel Embiid and Seth Curry were the only ones to score a field goal in the second half. I mean, this was a crazy game. I mean, if you, you got, like, let's just get right into it. Jalen, we're going to start with you. Like, what were your thoughts, like, so far in the series, so far, and just that game yesterday? I mean, the thing, the biggest thing about this series is that I found it so interesting that Joel Embiid has been able to play above his weight, right? And I think that sounds interesting because you're like, he he has the, the bona fide mismatch in this, in this matchup specifically, whether it's Clint Capella or John Collins. But the thing is, with him having, with him having the injury, we figured he was either going to be unable to play or just not fully effective. The fact that he's played at such a high level throughout this series has been really interesting. His ability to close is one of those things that I think touches more on the injuries effect. I think it's not his ability throughout the game. I think it's ability to, it's his ability to hold on and kind of keep his wind and last throughout the game in order to help close. The other thing is Ben Simmons, man. This, this hack of Ben stuff is getting ridiculous. Out of hand. I think I saw something the other day. Um, where there was a stat dropped where, like, I guess he's, like, the first guard in playoff history to miss 10 free throws. That's an insane stat. Now, I know it's kind of tricky because it's, like, Ben 6'10", doesn't really play like a guard outside of the facilitation, but that's where he's listed, and that's the kind of thing that had history counting against him in this circumstance. And then on on the Atlanta side of things, I think the biggest thing is that Trey Young is getting just about everything that he's kind of used to, right? The other day, yeah. the the biggest thing that was kind of weird with him is, you know, like he's a, he's associated with like the Steph Curry mode and like being this elite three-point shooter. But like he only shoots about 31% from the three-point line, at least th- so far during these playoffs. And he did most of his damage from the line the other day, which is kind of something that he's starting to slowly get a rep- um a reputation for he was kind of getting it for the wrong reasons earlier on in the season <laughs> in terms of the way he would draw fouls but trey young has just been able to get everything that he's wanted and then some and it's showing in terms of him being able to get his other guys involved the deandre hunter injury was huge and we took a fall for it i want to say um it was i mean games games two and three were kind of hard considering that we had Solomon Hill playing way too many minutes. But this conversion of putting Kevin Herter in the starting yes. lineup has been something that's been huge. And I think you have to give Nate McMillan a lot of credit for that. So I would think on both sides, both teams have kind of played above their weight in one way or another. But the the fact that the Hawks are up 3-2 right now with a chance to close is insane to me. Because on paper, I don't even think we would have given them a chance to go even a chance to go six, depending on the circumstances if Joel Embiid wasn't, uh, wasn't injured. Yeah. Honestly, just like last game, I mean, it really did feel like it was kind of a turning um, point for the 76ers. Like at least like we knew that Embiid was going to bounce back. There was no way he was going to go over 12 in another half again, but somehow, some way the, the 76ers, like, I think this has been a story the whole playoffs that they just cannot get it done in close games in the fourth quarter. They just fold Ryan. I mean, You've seen this whole series. 
how are the Hawks up 3-2, man? Like, let me know. You know, watching the first three quarters of that game last night, I could not tell you if the Hawks were, were going to win that game last night. But after what I saw with the Bucks, with the Bucks Nets game uh, the night before, I mean, I wasn't expecting a blown lead of more than 20 points. But when the Sixers were up by 26, I was for sure thinking the game was over. But then you insert Trey Young going on a crazy scoring run. You insert a lot of bench scoring, which Jalen, I said yesterday on our podcast, that was one of the keys to success for winning game five was the bench scoring from uh, Danilo Gallinari especially, but Lou Williams adding 15 points as well. So I think when you add in the fact that you had Trey Young going on a crazy run, you you had additional scoring coming off the bench, Atlanta was able to hold off Philadelphia. Now, in terms of Philadelphia, look, if I'm Coach Doc Rivers – I'm making sure Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are in the gym late at night trying to practice free throws because Joel Embiid, before the last two free throws of the game, he was 11 for 11, and he ended up missing the the final two free throws that would have cut the lead to one. Yeah. But, But you guys mentioned Ben Simmons, too. Ben Simmons, four of 14 from the free throw line. I mean, I know that he's getting he's probably getting a lot of hate on Twitter right now, but like he's been getting hate all playoffs long, man. <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand how you miss ten free throws in a in a playoff game, in a in a very critical playoff game where most of the teams that win game five go on to win the the series. But look, I know there were some bright spots. Joel Embiid outside of the two missed free throws, thirty seven and thirteen. Um, Seth Curry had a great game. He looked a lot like his brother out there, Steph Curry, yes. for a second with 36 points and 7 of 12 from three. I don't know what Philadelphia is going to have to do going forward. I think that, yeah, Atlanta with home court advantage now in game six, they have a chance to close this one out. They they, they 100% do. But you guys are talking about Ben Simmons a lot, and fair enough. You know, everyone's gonna be, um, to, is going to pile up on Ben Simmons. Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris. <laughs> Tobias Harris. I knew okay, TV was going to come get him okay, if somebody okay. wasn't. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Last season, I was I went off on Tobias Harris on multiple um, on multiple episodes because I thought I'd him getting that max contract, he wasn't living up to it. He's I, I said even going before going into the season, he's gonna have to show some of that all star potential he had in, in LA. And I thought that um, Doc Rivers was gonna was gonna be able to get him out of it. And to be fair, for the majority part of the season, he actually played basically like an all-star. I mean, he people would consider him an all-star snub. He played great all season long. But yesterday, four points, four points, two of 11 shooting from a max contract guy who didn't attempt a single field goal in the final four minutes of this game. What is going on? Like, what on earth is actually going on with um, Tobias Harris? I mean, he had a good start to this playoffs, but he just, like, especially in times when Joel Embiid is, like, struggling, trying to, like, catch his win, as Jalen was saying. I mean, he plays well for basically three quarters of the game. He kind of slows down to fourth. But Tobias Harris, especially in late game scenarios, I mean, why isn't he attempting shots? In game four, he only attempted, um, he hasn't taken, he didn't attempt a shot in the final four minutes when the, when the Hawks were getting back into the game. This game, same thing, I mean, Tobias, like this whole thing with Tobias Harris. I mean, what are your thoughts on him? I mean, do you think that he's going to be able to bounce back, or do you think like we've seen kind of the best of him, and it's not like it's not really going to get much better? 
Um, I mean, I think it has to improve, right? Four points, I think, is something that is kind of the low end in terms of him. I don't think there was anything that they did too crazy defensively that I think took him out of his game. I think it was just simply yeah. him not knocking down shots. and Because th- a lot of the stuff was him – I would say a lot of it was him getting to his spots. I think he just wasn't finishing. And I think that was very conducive throughout the team because, again, you mentioned it earlier, Joel and B and Seth Curry were the only ones to hit field goals in the second half like that's conducive of just the entire team being off their game I think the other thing too to take into account when it comes to Tobias is this is the problem with a guy like this not being a two-way player as your third option right because he's in a situation where this is the intriguing thing about Paul George people give a lot of flack to Paul George about like and we're not now considering what took place the other day but typically the association with, with Paul George is when he's disengaged on the offensive um, offensive end, he at least is able to go on that other side and hunker down and play defensively. And if he has an impact on that side of the ball, if you know basketball, you see his impact on that end. The thing with Tobias Harris is he's not able to go on that other side of the floor and still have his presence felt. Hence why, as much as he's a, he has this inability to score, Atlanta has that ability to score back on him. So he's yes. basically giving up everything that he's not giving them back in return, which is basically making him a net negative, which is hard to look at a guy who is your quote-unquote third option as a guy who's not doing you anything but a disservice. Yeah, like especially yesterday. I mean, he just did absolutely nothing. I mean, at least in the in the – in game four, you could say that, look, okay, he did well for his, the first three quarters. He just didn't show up in the fourth. This game, he did absolutely nothing. Four points, like, that is just unacceptable for a guy who's getting paid over $30 million a year. Just, like, that is that was embarrassing. But before we move on to the next series, we're going to end this off with Ryan. What do the 76ers need to do? They're in an elimination game scenario. They're going back to Atlanta. What do they need to do to get this, to get this victory and get back in the series? Well, other than Joel Embiid having a great game, you have to kind of rely on guys like Tobias Harris and Seth Curry to continue to play the way they've been playing, except um, Tobias Harris with Game 5. He struggled a bit, but I feel like that was just an off game for him considering that he had four straight 20-point games in the first four games. So I feel like Game 5 was just an off game for him. I think for Seth Curry, look— If he continues to keep playing like this, he's going to be the second option on this team. And he may run Ben Simmons out of Philadelphia. And now that like now that the series is getting down to the wire with the with possibly the final game, game six in Atlanta, you need your best players to step up. But you also need your supporting cast to step up. So if Joel Embiid can have a 37 and 13 game and nail all of his free throws and the 76ers don't make the same late mistakes that they've been making in in the fourth quarter, they, they'll be able to win this game. But if they keep turning the ball over, committing fouls, missing shots in the fourth quarter, they're not going to win this game. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, is like like we mentioned earlier, like on paper, the 76ers should be the better team. And the fact that they are down 3-2 to two is very, very worrying. And we didn't even talk about – I mean, we did talk about Ben Simmons. He did – and his like struggles at the line lane games, I mean – like last question quickly before we move on but is is there a chance you see them like not playing ben simmons in like those final five or six minutes especially if it's a close game either of you can answer this that's tough because defensively i feel like they still need him it's hard to say that just because trey gave them buckets the other night that he's still not their best perimeter defender for a guy like trey so i think it's tough to take him off the floor but if he's costing them that many points i 
think they might be forced to. I think the question with that is, do you trust Shake Milton just as much? I think you trust him to knock down the free throws, but do you trust him enough to be able to commit on the defensive end to be able to, you know, still hold Trey in check? I think that's tough. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough, tough thing. And it's a, these tough decisions that Doc Rivers, I mean, he's down again in the series. He could be out again in the second round. This is something that's going to be a key factor going into this next game. But that wasn't only the crazy game that happened last night because, yeah, again, like the game after that, honestly, I mean, obviously it wasn't just as crazy, but the fact that they're able to, that the Clippers were able to get this win is ridiculous. But yeah, this week the Clippers got two big wins to take the 3 2 series lead over the Utah Jazz. They won game four, 118 104. Um, this is before the Kawhi Leonard injury. Um, game four, two, 30, uh, two guys scoring over 30 points for the Clippers. 31 for Kawhi, 31 for Paul George, 24 for Marcus Morris. I mean, this game was over in the first first half. I mean, if you guys remember game four, the, the Jazz just went cold as ice. And I'm not talking about the nice ice cold like Trey Young is. I mean, this is just cold, cold. I mean, Donovan Mitchell finished with 37, but that was a rough game. I think they only got it to as close as like 11 in the second half. So it was a complete blowout. The Clippers won that comfortably. But we're going to get into this news a bit later. But Kawhi Leonard, in, like literally as part of the big news yesterday, sprained his knee. And they are very much like worried that it could be something with his ACL. So we're going to talk about that later and kind of how that like how that affects the Clippers. But in terms of yesterday's game, somehow, some way, the Clippers were able to take to get this victory. And people who have been dissing Paul George, Pandemic P, whatever you want to call it, no PG slander on today's episode because he scored 37 points, 16 rebounds in this one. And the other guys stepped up, 22 for Reggie Jackson, 25 for Marcus Morris, 13 from Terrence Mann, including a nasty, and I mean a nasty dunk on Rudy Gobert. And the Jazz, I mean, they played really good in the first half, 17 threes. I think that's like a franchise record and a half. Maybe even NBA playoff record in a half for threes. I mean, that was just crazy in the first half. But they went cold. They couldn't pull the victory against a team without Kawhi Leonard. I'm going to start with Ryan here. What happened in this game, and how couldn't the Jazz just get a win over p- playoff P? Well, first of all, if you um, if you remember the podcast yesterday, Jalen, I said this, and I knew it was going to happen. The Clippers needed Paul George to step up in Game 5 to give them a win. And what happened? 37 and 16 on 12 of 22 shooting from the field. They got exactly what they needed from Paul George and Paul George stepped up. And then, like I said, you needed guys like Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson and uh, Terrence Mann uh, to step up as well. And they did like Terrence Mann had that ridiculous dunk. Like you mentioned on Rudy Gobert, Marcus Morris had hit some clutch threes. Reggie Jackson looked pretty good out there with 22 points. So The supporting cast did their job, but most importantly, Paul George did his job. He was the leading scorer for the Clippers. He led them to a win. So I think that that was huge for the Los Angeles Clippers. For the Utah Jazz TV, you were right. They they went cold in the second half. But somebody who didn't, who wasn't as cold as the rest of the players, Bojan Bogdanovic, I, I think he needs to get more credit than what he's getting right now. He put he locked down Kawhi Leonard in the fourth quarter of game two, and now he's their leading scorer with 32 points, nearly 50% shooting from the field. He hit six threes in the first quarter and then nine overall. Look, I think if the Jazz are able to rely on their three-point shooting consistently and, and they're able to knock down threes, they'll be able to win game six. But I think it's been a battle of which team can consistently 
be more efficient from three. And it's been a toss-up between the Jazz and the Clippers. For the first two games, it's been the Jazz. For the next two games, it's been the Clippers. Now the Clippers are starting to kind of gain the edge again in that in that department. So if the Clippers continue to play the way they've been and the way they've been playing, and Paul George continues to step up and have almost like a Kevin Durant type comeback game, like he did in Game Five, it was light. It was light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like he's. I think the Clippers will be able to pull it out. I think Donovan Mitchell. I think by his standards, this was a bad game, even though he had 21 points. But I think that if they're able, if if both teams are able to knock down threes, it's pretty much the the better team is going to win that one, whether it's the Clippers or the Utah Jazz. Yeah, 100 percent. And that was one of the things going into the series. These are two of the best three point shooting teams in basketball. Of course, it was going to be a three point battle. It was going to whoever was going to have kind of the better percentages. I mean, Utah was just on fire in the first half. They were like they just could not miss. But then they slowed down. And that's when the Clippers were able to take advantage Boyan played really well in the first half, kind of slowed down in the second half as well. But I think that's just the product of the entire Jazz team just not being able to, um, to just like produce as a whole. But yeah, Paul George, amazing game, got some great contributions from the rest of those guys. But I want to focus on Donovan Mitchell, and this is the question I'm going to pose to Jalen. I mean, he, you could tell that, especially in these last few games, that that ankle is bothering him. I mean, obviously Kawhi is injured; he's probably not going to play Game Six as well. I mean. Do you think the Jazz can like still like get these like wins even though Donovan Mitchell is not playing like at his like top level? So I think the possibility is still there because the depth is there from a scoring standpoint, right? Jordan Clarkson's a guy who's still kind of like due for a game. Bogdanovich, um, like Ryan Gate, uh, got to give him his credit in terms of being one of those primary scores for them. I think Joe Ingles is somebody who's very interesting in terms of being a guy who could play really well off the ball and does a lot of the ball handling for them in that first and second um, unit, especially with Mike Conley, you know, being in and out of the lineup throughout these playoffs. So I think the main thing with the Utah Jazz is that they're just going to have to be careful with relying on Donovan Mitchell so much, right? Because one of the biggest things that I noticed in the first series, where if you guys remember, they lost that first game against Memphis without Donovan Mitchell. And as soon as Donovan Mitchell arrived on the scene in game two, there was no looking back from that point forward. So I think that we understand what his impact is on the floor. We also have to understand what his impact is as a member of this team. This was a guy who's top five in usage percentage throughout the year, despite the fact that he's not considered a superstar in terms of people looking at this Utah Jazz team and their association with this team to the old Atlanta Hawks team. Um, that pretty much was trotting out a handful of role players that all played at above their weight in terms of being, you know, sufficient as a unit on the floor. Donovan Mitchell is a guy who was top five in usage percentage for a reason. It's because he's a guy who can elite, who can at elite level get his own shot, create for others, create create his own shot. I think it's even um, bigger of a skill than people realize. I think it's. It's one thing when you see, like, for example, with Trey Young, we talked about in the other series, getting 18 assists, right? Being able to create for others in a way where they're getting open shots. But the ability to go tell somebody to go get a bucket and they can create for themselves in order to be able to give you a timely basket is something that is, like, extremely underrated despite it being, like, a top three level skill. So I think that's one of those things that's kind of huge in terms of what he provides. I think that they can still pull it out. I still think that they have the overall talent depth to do it um, in comparison to the Clippers, uh, despite the fact that I don't think the Clippers are any slouch down the bench either. But I just think that the biggest thing that they're going to have to understand is that 
that usage percentage that they relied on Donovan Mitchell to carry for so long throughout the regular season and to a certain extent throughout these playoffs, they're going to have to notch back on that. And guys like Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles, who handle the ball a lot more, are going to have to be able to create a lot more for themselves. Yeah, 100 percent. And if you look at the end of the game, specifically in game five, I mean, they were just jacking up threes. Donovan Mitchell had like two or three that just missed everything. I think he had like two or three air balls. I think one of them hit the backboard. I mean, he just did not look right. And he just was he did not play well yesterday going six for 19 on um, 21 points. I mean, that is not the Donovan Mitchell that we've been seeing all series, but he's been asked to do a lot. I mean, there's a reason like why. He's like top five in the league currently as, as active players in terms of playoff like averages in terms of points per game. He's he's been doing this and you could tell that the ankle is bothering him. So it really is up to the other guys around him to help pick up the load, especially because Mike Connolly isn't there. He hasn't played this entire series yet. Um, they definitely do miss him because even if you look up and down this roster, they really don't have a true point guard on their lot. In their lineup, I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been playing the point. But let's be honest, he is a two-guard. Joe Ingles is most effective off the bench. They they are missing Mike Conley badly right now. and I and I But I do agree with Jalen. I think they still have the talent to still beat this Clipper team. And ha, and the fact that um, Kawhi Leonard is probably not even going to be in the lineup the next game or for the rest of the series is a big reason why I do think the Jazz could still pull this out. But... I don't know. I think they they relying too. Is there is there a thing that they're like relying relying too much on the three point shot? Because sometimes they just do that like a lot, like all the time. Like it feels like they don't have an in between game. They don't have. They're not um, doing stuff on the inside. I mean, either of you could answer this. I mean, do you think that um going forward in the series, do you think that if the Utah Jazz have an ability to win this game if their three point shot is not falling? I'm gonna say no. Because I think that they they really have kind of transitioned their entire offensive scheme into relying on the three-point shot. Getting Ingles more minutes because he's been a good three-point shooter for them. Getting Bogdanovich more minutes because he's been a good three-point shooter for them. Same thing with Jordan Clarkson. Um, same thing with Royce O'Neal. I think when you're... When you're too reliant, I agree. I agree. There is a thing as being too reliant on the three. We kind of saw that with the Rockets in the uh, in the 2018 Western Conference Finals against Golden State, where they were so reliant on the three that they weren't making any. So there is a thing as being too reliant. But I feel like that you could kind of make this case with all the teams because a lot of teams are opting to go for three pointers instead of in in situations where you really only need a two. So I think with with guys like Rudy, with guys like Rudy Gobert, who are who are not natural three point shooters, that's where you really need to utilize the the front court advantage that you have. And I think that with having a guy like Rudy Gobert, somebody that is a defensive anchor for this team, somebody that can attack the glass as aggressively as he always does, that's beneficial to a team like Utah. That even though they've relied so much on the three point shot. They always have guys like Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal down low to grab rebounds and get the easy buckets down low. Yeah, 100%. And that's something to look out for the, in the next game. I still think they have a chance to win the series, but if, they're, if their supporting cast is playing like that, Paul George is playing like that, it's definitely going to be tough. We're going to talk about one more series before we get into some all of the crazy news that happened over the week. We're going to be talking about the Game 5 between the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks. Brooklyn win Game 5. Yes, they did win Game 5 without Kyrie Irving. James Harden came back, but let's be honest, he just was not that guy. He did not do like much for that team in Game 5. 
But one guy showed up. One guy had one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. I don't know about you guys. We'll get into that. But Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. This guy was the offense. He played every single minute of this game. This guy was all-time great. And honestly, like, he, like, if you want to just, like, look at a game where a guy just carries his team to victory, this is the one. KD was amazing. I'm going to start off with Jalen here. I mean, the Bucks had this game. They had a 17-point lead. But Kevin Durant was just um, was just too damn good. I mean, what are your thoughts on this game? And how were the Nets able to get this win? I think the biggest thing is I think KD finessed the Bucks into thinking P.J. Tucker's a one-on-one defender against a guy like that. I think that's the biggest thing that got kind of cute over those first two those uh, first handful of games where he was kind of keeping KD in check to a certain extent, they kind of started to fall in love with that. And they thought that schematically they could kind of just leave PJ on him by himself. And it was one of those things that ended up biting him in the butt, especially when PJ started getting in foul trouble. That was the biggest, that was probably the biggest stretch where the tie started to turn. The other thing, dude, I think the other thing that I think people need to touch on it uh, uh, a lot more than they already have. And he's been harped on a lot. Um, over the course of the last couple of um, hours in terms of Twitter, but Giannis Antetokounmpo, when it comes to these post-game presses, is starting to really get to me, bro, because, (laughs) and I say that because of the fact that it seems like he always kind of, like, grows this courage, um, talking about the defensive end, post-game after another player has given them 30-plus already. You know what I mean? The dude... The, the dude drops nearly 50 points on Stephen A. Smith's call, by the way. He literally booked yeah, it. Yeah. And you decide that after the game, the game in which you spent the entire time covering Joe Harris, <laughs> Joe Harris defensively, you decide that after the game, when you kept stepping to the postgame presser, that that's when you want to tell everybody that you want to take on the assignment of being this primary defender on a guy who plays your own position. Like, that's, yeah. that shouldn't even be something that I feel like is even de- debatable. And I find that so interesting. And I asked Ryan about this when we did the pod the other day. Like, whose fault is it? Who is it to blame? Is it Bud for making the decision of leaving Giannis within this scheme? Or is it Giannis for not being able to step into that superstar mentality and say, I'm going to guard the best player? My friend phrased it to me in a really interesting way in TV. I, I kind of – I'm just going to throw it back to you yeah. this way. He phrased it in a really interesting way by saying that he thinks that Giannis Antetokounmpo is a role player in a superstar's body, a guy who is formulated – a guy you – especially coming from overseas, there's a certain aspect of being able to just kind of fall in line as a guy who falls behind the coach and just sits within a scheme and does what he's asked to do. And I think he's built – he's wired like that, the nice guy who's going to step out and do what he's asked to do while using his physical gifts when when applicable, right? But he's never going to step into that situation where he kind of literally flexes the fact that he's a two-time league MVP, a guy who is just coming off of a defensive player of the year award, not even a season ago, and decides that he wants to wait until post-game pressures to talk about it. I think that that's so interesting to me that my friend brought that up, and I kind of just wonder how you feel about that. No, that's that's definitely a a nice, interesting way to look at it because – that is true. Giannis doesn't have that kind of, like, big... I mean, he, he's a fun-loving guy. He's definitely, like, a nice guy to kind of, like, like see in interviews and stuff. And, like, he's always, like, joyful and stuff like that. But he doesn't have, like, you know, I'm that guy. I'm going to put drop 30 on you. He doesn't have that mentality. And maybe it does come from him coming over from overseas. Maybe it's just, like, that whole mentality. But the thing is, I mean, there's no he has never had no one beside him 
to kind of like keep him in check. And he has no one to tell him like, hey, you're a two-time league MVP. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. I mean, who are the other two stars on the team? Chris Milton, he doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. Drew Holiday, he doesn't talk. I mean, they're not big personalities. And I think if they go out in this round, which could go either way at this point. I mean, I have a feeling they're going to bounce back game six, but it could really go either way. But it's, I think it's something to get like a more like a vocal, like number two or number three, because none of these guys are like, I feel like are natural born leaders. These guys are great players that they have, but yeah, it's definitely something to um, look out at in terms of a Giannis being that number one guy. I mean, he is, I don't think he's like a natural born leader. He's someone that leads by example, but I don't know who, like he said, like, I don't know if he's going to be going up to like, Coach Bud and saying, hey, I'm going to be doing this. There's nothing you can do to stop me. But going back to Coach Bud, I mean, we we could blame Giannis. I mean, Giannis, like, no one is to like is off of blame here. I mean, Drew Holiday didn't play well in the fourth quarter. Chris Milton, all of them. But Coach Bud, come on. You, this And this is the thing. Like, I, I, I talked about this, I think, like on my recap a couple days ago. But the Phoenix Suns, when Anthony Davis came back in game six, what did they do right away? Attacked Anthony Davis. They knew he wasn't right. Why? And they just kept going to him, going to him, until they basically were like, okay, we can't play this guy anymore. He can't even move on the court. And then they took him out. Where was that on James Harden? Where was that? This guy was playing on one leg. This guy didn't want to go into the paint. Why not try to get these switches, try to get him into pick and rolls, and just attack him constantly? And... There was a couple times in the fourth quarter where they tried to do that, but Giannis was hitting a post fadeaway. No, no, no. That isn't right. I mean, at some point, I mean, obviously, like, um, the, like the, at least with the Milwaukee Bucks, it feels like they're making the same mistakes over and over again. And, yes, you can blame the players for not converting. But, like, can we just fire Coach Bud, like, midway through the series? Like, <laughs> please, like, this is honestly, like, so, so, like, infuriating to watch. I mean, I'm going to throw it back to Ryan here. I mean, can, like... Is it even possible? Like, can the Bucks even like win with Coach Bud? I mean, this is like what he's been doing, especially coaching-wise this season, going back to the other seasons. I mean, it's it's really hard to watch, and I think it's another example of that in Game Five. Yeah, they need a new coach. I I don't think that there's any any more evidence needed after watching Game Five that Coach Coach Bullenhoser's done after this year. Here's when I knew it was over. I'm watching Giannis do with the fadeaway late in the uh, in the fourth quarter with about two minutes to go, and he's guarded by James Harden, and Harden's like, "No, wait, wait, I got this, I got this." Yeah. Fends off the double team, and Giannis bricks the shot. Essentially, that's when I knew it was over. And like another thing, like I don't know who is making the call to have Giannis run up to the line and take threes when Blake Griffin's standing like three feet away from him, but like. That's another problem. Why is Giannis taking threes when he doesn't have to? Now in Game Five, he definitely fixed that issue because he was attacking the he was attacking the paint more. Yeah. He was he definitely had the size advantage over Blake Griffin. But in these first four games, I'm watching him run up to the line. Blake Griffin standing hands out like this, yeah. waiting for him to shoot the ball, and at the last second, he runs at him. And then he misses. He was like, I think he was like three for eight in the first two games from three. So I don't know whose call it was to have Giannis take this many threes in this series, but whoever's it was, they need to take the blame. Um, but overall, yeah, the Bucks definitely need to go in a different direction. This team does have a lot of talent, but I don't think Coach, uh, Coach Bodenholzer is or Coach Budenholzer is the guy to lead this team going forward. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I mean, we we talked about Coach Bud, we talked about Giannis. The other guys didn't step up as well. We gotta like you know put some blame on them. I mean, Drew Holiday and Chris Milton were brought to be you know those perimeter shot creators when Giannis wasn't doing his thing, and they haven't really done that all series long. So we gotta put some blame on them too. But I agree with Ryan. It, it's it's done. I mean, Coach Bud, like I've been like calling for his head since last season. They brought him back. I mean, they got another. They got the third seed this year, and again, just the same mistakes year in, year out. I mean, at some point, I mean, I think, like, what is it? The definition of insanity is, like, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You're not getting a different result from what Coach um, Budenholzer. And I think the only thing that could really save this job is if they, like, win a championship. And I know they're down 3-2, but there's still a chance. If you look at the landscape of the NBA at this very moment, the Suns, Chris Paul might be out. I mean... I think the Bucks are probably the healthiest team out of the bunch. I mean, Brooklyn, we don't know how James Harden is going to play in Game 6 going forward. Whoever comes out of that Clippers-Jazz um, series is going to be hurt no matter what. It looks like Kawhi might miss even extended periods of time. And obviously the Jazz, the Donovan Mitchell situation, the Mike Conley situation. Charles Parker can play the best. They could, they, there's a big, there's actually a good chance that the Bucks can win an NBA championship. But they gotta be one of the dumbest teams in the NBA. <laughs> they gotta be one of the dumbest teams. I mean, whenever they lose it, like, I mean, before we move, like, before we move on to the All NBA teams. But any of you could step in. I mean, I think I'll just throw it to Jalen here. But does it feel like every time, like, when they lose, it's like the same way over and over and over again? I mean, at, at some point, I mean, like, what are they doing? I mean, like, what do you think like they need to do to even get back in the series and win this? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just the fact that their other guys need to step up because they have to understand that Giannis is, uh, is at a detriment when it comes to his ability to be effective offensively. Like, at the end of the day, the stat line is going to tell you Giannis is an all-NBA-level player, right? But the overall, the eye test of it, this is, this is my understanding of Giannis Antetokounmpo as a player, is summarized in one play. You guys remember, I think it was game, I want to say it was game four. He had like this weird dribble package take place in the midcourt and then decided to dribble out of it and then dribble into like a drive that ended up turning into like a leaning fadeaway runner that he ended up bricking. And I think that's just the overall understanding of what his his skill set is. He's a guy who relies heavily on the fact that he is hyper athletic and seven foot, basically. And he puts himself in a position where he outmatches people through using aggression and power. That's not a basketball player. You know what I'm saying? He's a guy who kind of plays bully ball and does not really have any kind of like basketball skill. You know what I'm saying? So I think that guys like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, we kind of saw this in that game one victory against Miami Heat. Who is it that they turned to to be able to get a final shot off in order to win that game? It was Chris Middleton. It's because he can create for himself. You're not as Giannis Antetokounmpo. People need to, like, really think about this for a second. Giannis Antetokounmpo is their best player so far and above that people literally look down on Chris Middleton the two years that he made All-Star. That, that's how high on the totem pole, totem pole Giannis is. He's not even asked to make his own. He's not even asked to create for himself to make his team better and win games in the closing moments of big-time games. That should tell you everything you need to know. So I think the biggest thing is that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday need to play up to this money. I think yeah. that's probably like the easiest way to phrase it. If yeah, I can add game. one, 
yeah, if I can ahead, add one more thing, like it's just one thing, plain and simple, that the Bucks need to do. Take KD out of his element early on in the game. We know if we saw the first half, the Bucks are a better defensive team than Brooklyn is. So all you need to do is force KD into bad situations where he cannot get a shot off and take him out of his element early. Yeah, plain and simple, plain and simple. Game six is tonight. That's going to be a very interesting game, elimination game for the Bucks. One more thing before we move on to these all-NBA teams. Please, Coach Bud, please stop running plays for Giannis at the top of the key. Please let, please I'm just saying. tell him. Please just stop doing that. Like honestly, it's it's hard to watch. Please stop doing that. Tell him to stop shooting jumpers. <laughs> That's it. Just and other guys, just please step up. Let's move on to this because finally we got news about the All NBA teams and the All Defensive teams. We're gonna start with the All Defense teams first because I don't think it should take too long. I don't think much people have an opinion on this. But the All in, All Defensive first team. Um, you have Ben Simmons, Drew Holiday, Draymond Green, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Rudy Gobert, all defensive second team, um, Jimmy Butler, Matisse Thybul, Bam Adebayo, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid. I'm going to start off with Ryan here. Do you like these lists? Do you have any problems with it? Do you, or do you think anyone got snubbed? Um, Not off the top of my head. I don't think anybody got snubbed. I do think what is impressive is the the rise of Matisse Thybul as a defender. I mean, I think Matisse Thybul as a player overall, he's improving with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I think he's becoming sort of the three, another three and D guy for this team. So I do think that Thybul will only improve from here. I would say I'm not really seeing anything wrong right off the bat, but I do think that that players like Matisse Thybul are going to rise in the future. I think Bam Adebayo, you could probably make a case for him being first team. I think Joel um, you could probably make a case for him being first team. Kawhi Leonard, same thing, making a case for first team. But right off the bat, I just think that, yeah, Matisse Thibault is, is the real deal, and he's only going to improve in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard with defensive teams because it's hard to quantify how good they are defensively. And I think, like, for some like I don't know, it feels like the all-defensive team compared to other, like, especially to the All-NBA team, is that, Look, they, a lot of these guys just get in due to reputation. I think reputation is a big thing here, and that's why you see basically the same guys in here every single year. Jalen, any problems with these lists? Any person do you think it's missing? No, but I think that's an interesting statement to kind of piggyback off of when you say the whole thing about reputation, right? It's because a guy like Draymond Green is on this list, and I think that although reputation probably has a little bit to do with it, I think I think that's also a testament to Draymond Green, right? Because if you think about the, the inability for this team to really guard, especially early on in the season, right? This is a team that caught fire post-All-Star break in terms of really making that, that playoff push or at least into the play-in tournament. But realistically, this was a team that outside of Steph Curry for the longest time couldn't shoot the three. Ryan, how many times did I bring up the stat with Kelly Oubre where literally he went like 44 shots deep, I think, without being able to a actually lot, yeah. hit a three? I think yeah. most of his shots for like the first two weeks or so were all dunks and layups so this was a team that gradually improved over the course of the year this is a guy in Draymond Green where although he hasn't really gotten his three-pointer back and hasn't really been much of a net positive for the Golden State Warriors as an offensive threat at least not as a scorer he's still been able to maintain it as a rebounder a big-time facilitator for that team and on top of that his team defense his ability to play team def- defense is something that really 
kind of help string the Golden State Warriors along on that back half of the season and help them make that push. Yeah, everybody's going to point to Steph Curry and his MVP caliber season, at least the second half more so. But Draymond Green had a lot to do with that from the defensive end as well. So I think that's just really interesting to point out. The other thing, like Ryan said beforehand, Matisse Thibel on this list is really interesting because of the fact that that makes three Sixers players on this all-defensive team. And I it's it's hard to not be critical of an all-defensive team when it comes out during the playoffs, especially when you're coming off a performance like the one we just yeah. saw the other day. But that's a testament to their team defense overall. If you have three guys on that team, that goes to tell you how well their perimeter defense is and how well they play, the, um, play uh, on both sides of the ball, that they can be able to have two guys who are all NBA caliber and three guys who can hop on the defensive end and lock down as well. They're just yeah. going to have to show that prowess in these next two games that they're going to be able to get out of this series alive. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I mean, Jalen said there, I mean, it's weird that this is coming out in the playoffs because you see a Jimmy Butler, you see a Bam Adebayo, and then stuff like that, and you're like, eh, I mean, like, do they really think so? But, I mean, it's a, again, this is a regular season thing, so it does make sense. And I, before we move on to the all-NBA teams, I do want to, like, I'm going to make a bold claim here. I mean, Kawhi Leonard on the all-defensive second team, I don't think he should have made it at all. I honestly do not. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, mean, Luka gave him buckets all of the first round, and I think that that was only indicative of, like, just who Kawhi Leonard is as a defender now. He's not the guy he was in San Antonio where he was asked to be a defensive stopper. He's a guy who has put a lot more on the offensive end, and it just shows. I mean, it's okay. He's a bucket still. It's fine. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I think this is, like, again, I said it earlier. A lot of these guys get in, um, like, over and over again because of reputation. This is the this is clearly the case with Kawhi Leonard. Honestly, the only change I would make here is actually remove Kawhi Leonard and show love to Mikel Bridges, man. Mikel Bridges Big is, facts. like, he is a very, very good defender. This guy is lanky. I can't believe the 76ers traded him for Zaire Smith, at, like, on draft night. That Honestly, that hurts for 76ers fans because Mikel Bridges would have been amazing for them if he was able to stay. But he has been, like, I mean, the Suns' defense is top 10. He is, like, their best perimeter defender. I He gets a lot of steals just because of his length. I think he's going to be on this um, all-defensive team, like, a, quite a bit over the next few years. And, again, he, I think um, people just need to, like, bring attention to that. And I think, like, if people start saying, oh, where's Mikel Bridges on this list? He'll probably be there next year. I don't think the people voting on this actually look at defensive stats, defensive plus, minus, whatever, whatever. They look at the guys like, oh, this guy's a good defender? Let's just put him in. And I think if we if, if we talk about it enough, if we talk about it enough, Mikel Bridges will be there next year. We can speak it into existence. <laughs> but, yeah, this is all defensive teams. We'll just move on to the all-NBA teams where this is where the juicy stuff comes in. All-NBA first team, um, I, I'm not afraid to say this, but I got every one of these right. Um, Steph Curry, <laughs> Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic. All-NBA second team, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, LeBron, LeBron James, Joel Embiid. And then the All-NBA third team, we have Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Rudy Gobert. Let's start off with Jalen here. Obviously, this is where the, like this is like where it gets juicy and stuff. I mean... All NBA teams. Do you do you like them? Is there anyone that you think is missing? Man, the missing department is is definitely there. You know, the the big question with these lists all the time, right, is if you're going to say somebody does not deserve to be on, who are you taking off and then who are you replacing them with, right? Because you're always there's always this ploy for this guy's not on the list, but who are you going to take off to fit them there? I think the easy one off the top is, and I understand that there's this infatuation with the New York Knicks, 
and what they've done so far this season. Being a top four seed is definitely impressive, especially considering their squad. But I still think that Jason Tatum was overall the better player at the forward spot for that second um, for that second team. I think there can be an argument, especially with the fact that Julius Randle was, I think, top two in minutes played this season. Um, and he was so effective and winning the most improved player. I think that if anything, I think that you could argue that Jason Tatum makes it over Jimmy Butler or Julius Randle. But if anything, if Julius Randle's bumped out, I'd rather him be bumped down. I think that him being bumped down to third team and Jimmy Butler being out is actually more viable, viable because I think that Jimmy Butler was effective on his time on the floor and he definitely helped turn the Miami Heat season around to a certain extent. But this Miami Heat team was just not the team of last year in any shape or form. And he wasn't right for most of the year to the point that it left him out of games. He just wasn't even the most uh, he wasn't even the aggressive version of Jimmy Butler that we're used to. Everybody just fell into that infatuation with that weird stretch of him getting triple doubles for like a week where everybody was like, (laughs) oh, yep, Jimmy's turning the heat around. And that was kind of just the stamp of approval for them. Then, obviously, the other two names that will probably stick out to most people are Donovan Mitchell, who his 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 um, teammate Rudy Gobert is on here, but he's nowhere to be seen. And Devin Booker top two seeds in the Western Conference, which is a big thing nowadays when we talk about the competitiveness in the West. I think that uh, TV, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I think the easy guys to maybe take a look at in terms of maybe bumping them off is in that third team area. When you look at Bradley Beal, only guy on this list with a losing record. He was second in uh, second in the league in scoring, but got to factor in the fact that the Washington Wizards made that late season push towards the playoffs, and that's probably what helped turn his whole thing around. But I still think that Donovan Mitchell had a better season. The tricky part with him is that six weeks out. That's yeah. the only reason why I have a hard time pushing for him. But then there's Devin Booker, who's been pretty dang available. Yeah. So there's that to be said. And then I think with Kyrie Irving, I think that it's a lot harder to knock him off the list. But he's a guy who also missed a little bit of time. And I mentioned this to you beforehand. James Harden is a guy who got omitted from this list. And I do personally think that outside of missing a handful of games, that his his actions in Houston also probably hurt his hurt his ability to appear on this list. And I find that really interesting if that was factored in because Kyrie Irving was off the floor for reasons that didn't have to do with injury as well as a few that uh, as as well a few games that did have to do with injury. So with him missing a lot of time, I think that leaves a little bit of space for a guy like Devin Booker, who's on a top two seed team to maybe make his uh, make his presence felt. But, you know. As LeBron James said, Devin Booker is one of those underrated guys that's going to continue to kind of get pushed to the wayside till you know, he becomes a household name. But he's doing his thing in the playoffs, and I think that's going to be really conducive for him moving forward when it comes to these lists. Yeah, 100%. I'm going to throw it over to Ryan. I mean, same question to you. Is there someone here that, you know, do you think someone got left out? Who, do you, who would you remove anything you would change on this list? Here's what I will say. I think if Kevin Durant played a full season healthy, he would knock Giannis off a of first team. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, would, I would definitely say that too. Now, I would look at also third team, and then I would make the argument to say that Jimmy Butler is maybe the first man off because I think when we're talking about Jason Tatum in the series that he, that he had and the season that he had, I think that he really stepped up for a Boston Celtics team that really needed him the most, especially in the playoffs, considering that Jalen Brown, who was the guy who stepped up for Jason Tatum when he was out, he was out of the playoffs entirely. So Jason Tatum was also the reason why Boston was able to get a game from Brooklyn in the playoffs. So 
And considering also like Bryn Forbes outscored Jimmy Butler in the Miami in the Miami Bucks series. So I think that's another thing to kind of factor in for why I don't think Jimmy Butler should be third team. I think Julius Randle, there is a case for him being on third team instead of second team, but he had a great season this year. Um, he definitely should have deserved to win the most improved player award this year. Bradley Beal, I also think there is a case for him not being on this list. But at the same time, the season that he had was tremendous. And also he was one of the reasons, along with Russell Westbrook, why this team was able to make the late season surge that they that they ended up having and then making it into the playing tournament and eventually the playoffs. But but again, like Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, possibly Russell Westbrook, all snub from these lists. I think that's yeah. a travesty. Yeah, I mean, I like I, even like I mean I mentioned this to you guys before the show. In terms of these All NBA teams, the ones like I predicted, like um, um just at the season's end, I got 14 out of 15. The only person I didn't have on these teams that made it on was Bradley Beal. I just thought like the losing record, I think, was just not enough for him to be on. I had James Harden in just because, I mean, if you're putting LeBron, James Harden only played two games less. But Jalen did say it right. I mean, that stuff early on in Houston probably was like the determining factor for him not making this team. But still, I mean, Bradley Beal, I know the scoring is nice. The scoring is that, that. But Donovan Mitchell, I was thinking of him too. But the last six weeks, I think, honestly, just like made me kind of go off on that. But if anything, Devin Booker should have been on this. I think he is like the unsung hero somehow is still underrated, even though the Suns are just the number two team in the West. I don't know how he's still underrated. And I think Chris Paul is taking out a spotlight. But this guy, honestly, he's their best player. He's the guy that they go to um, is their go to scorer. This guy's going to be a superstar in this league. And I think if you're going to take someone off, it would be um, Devin Booker to, um, instead of Bradley Beal. But I think like before we even move on, I just think that the NBA just needs to just like release this a lot earlier because you see people like Julius Randle, you see people like Jimmy Butler, and you're like, huh, these guys aren't the All NBA teams, but they like completely just flamed out in the playoffs. But they, in terms of like just this and all the NBA awards, they got to do this before the season because it it honestly just gets awkward seeing someone like like Lamelo Ball just like just like get the Rookie of the Year award. Like I'm to be honest, I forgot he existed for a second because we're so deep into the playoffs. <laughs> and I'm like, and then like when they like handed out that award, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even hand out Rookie of the Year yet, and that was the last award. But I mean, yeah, they gotta do a better job releasing these earlier. But these guys, I mean, they mentioned Jason Tatum. He definitely has a um, a shout over Jimmy Butler. Um, yeah, they're they're all completely valid points. But I think for the most part, they got it right. I think I think you could say that they got it right. Maybe positioning could be uh, sort of questionable. But yeah, um, I think this these All NBA teams are looking good, except for maybe one or two players. But yeah, before um, before we end off the show. Whenever I have a new guest on, we always have to do uh, when it turns when it comes to talking about like other topics besides the games and stuff. We have a segment here called Hot, Cold, or Just Right. Hot being you completely agree with the statement. Cold if you completely disagree. And if you're neutral, you're just right. And this is gonna be a a lot of topics for this one because man, there has been a lot of news um this past week. So let's get right into it. They mentioned it earlier in the show. I think Jalen did um earlier. Two coaching firings happened just yesterday. Stan Van Gundy, after only one season with the New Orleans Pelicans, is out. He signed a five-year contract last year, and they already got rid of him. He got fired. And then Scott Brooks, they mutually agreed to part ways with the Washington Wizards after spending five years with that team. 
Here's a statement for you, and I'm going to start off with Ryan here. Are you hot, cold, or just right on this? These two co- um, these two coaching firings were a W. Hot, cold, or just right? Absolutely hot. Absolutely hot. Because if you think about the the long-term success of the, the long-term, I wouldn't say success, but like downfall of the Wizards, especially under Scott Brooks, we knew Scott Brooks couldn't coach this team, and he's been getting a lot of flack, especially from you know one of our one of our friends who's a Wizards fan. And the whole fire Scott Brooks movement was you know something that Wizards fans have been kind of hoping for. So I wasn't really surprised to see him go. I was slightly surprised to see Stan Van Gundy go, considering that he really wasn't connecting with his players, and a lot of the younger players weren't thriving under Stan Van Gundy. I would say like Kira Lewis and Nikhil, Nikhil Alexander Walker were two of those players that I don't think they made the the sort of improvement that I think they were going that I think they were going to have. Um, so yeah, I would say that this is absolutely absolutely hot. Jalen, hot card just right on that exact same statement. Man, I'm just right, and it's because I'm split between these two coaching situations. As a DMV guy, I want to see the Wizards play well, and I think that when it comes to Scott Brooks, the firing was A1, and we're talking about getting rid of him and in terms of their coaching situation because I think they need a guy who's going to really kind of press buttons and really de- really help develop some of these guys, you know? I think Rui Hachimura took a slight step forward this year, but nothing super effective. I think a guy in Daniel Gafford is going to be really interesting next year, especially um, because there's going to be the decision as to who starts at the center position between him and Thomas Bryant coming off of his ACL injury. Then you have to look at a guy in Denny Avdia who didn't really play too crazy this year, kind of hard to do when you have two ball-dominant guards. But I think that he's a guy that as he develops, he can kind of fit in as a 3-and-D wing guy for this team that can also facilitate relatively well. But you got to have somebody who can bring that oaks but out of him. You know what I mean? You got to get somebody yeah. who can really bring the best out of him. And I just don't think that Scott Brooks is that guy. I think he's a guy who has been lucky to be around talent just about everywhere that he's stopped. Um, the OKC Thunder being obviously the, his main main claim to fame. But then you look at the Van Gundy situation, and the, the reason why I'm just right on this is because that firing is really interesting to me. You get one year with this team, a team that is full of puzzle pieces that don't fit. When exactly. we're talking about the fact that Steven Adams didn't play relatively well next to Zion Williamson, talk about the fact that Eric Bledsoe doesn't fit relatively well next to Lonzo Ball. This is a team that now has to make a decision on Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart in the offseason, something that was going to be tough with or without a coach. It's only going to be harder in terms of the idea. Of, I mean, obviously, any other team would have to match. It's not the idea of like, oh, who, you know, what's the better situation out of the fact that these guys are restricted free agents. But nonetheless, it's going to be a lot easier to be able to snatch these guys away because this team doesn't really have a direction. And one of the biggest things that I thought was really interesting was this team wasn't bad offensively. Once they figured out give Zion Williamson the dang ball, (laughs) they started to really turn their season around. The only thing was that they didn't lock down defensively, which is kind of interesting when you talk about that. the fact that Stan Van is kind of, you know, the old grit and grind style coach, you know, once upon a time. And you would think with guys like Josh Hart, guys like Lonzo Ball, even guys like B.I. and Zion, that if they're committed on the defensive end, they're lengthy as all knows what. So it should yeah. be not really that big of a deal. So I think that's kind of huge. But I don't know, man. I think at the end of the day, I think he didn't get a fair shake. And one more season would have been kind of interesting to see now that they kind of started to, like, you know, figure now that they have to start figuring things out in terms of their long-term core. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm going to agree with Ryan here. I have it as a W. I mean, the Scott Brooks thing, it was written all over the wall, let's be honest. This was, gonna, this was bound to happen. The fire Scott Brooks movement started even early on in the season. We knew that this was going to happen eventually. The Stan Gundy situation, yes, it's kind of weird, especially because he's only been there one year. And if and you want to give off that um, feel that you are like a good organization, that you are willing to stick with your guys. But I guess, I mean, a big thing here is the same thing with Nate Bjorkman over there in, in Indiana. I guess he just didn't connect with the guys, and I think that's a big deal. I mean, both these guys, similar situations. I mean, obviously, Stan Van definitely has the reputation, like a better reputation than Bjorkman. But... He, again, he just said, I mean, he's the older guy there. Jalen mentioned it. And I guess he just doesn't connect well with these younger guys around him. And, I mean, obviously they're going to make some moves. I mean, that whole lineup was a mess. I don't know how they thought they're going to shoot threes with that lineup with Steven Adams, Zion, um, was it Alonzo, Eric Bledsoe, and B.I.? No, no, no. That lineup isn't it. They were one of the worst teams defensively, which is like, isn't that like Stan Van Gundy's IO? Like, isn't that like what's kind of his thing like that? He's supposed to be a defensive coach. So I guess a lot of that has to do with it. But I think the main reason why they even fired him was, and if you saw the reports this morning, they're already scared that Zion wants to be traded soon, even though it's only his second season. That apparently there's some people in Zion's ear telling them that, um, that they don't want him in New Orleans. They think he's going to waste his career there. So they saw what happened with Anthony Davis. They don't want that happen with Zion. Even though I think it's kind of premature to think that because it's only his third season he's going into, but I think he was he was like, yeah, I don't think I'm vibing with the coach. I think it's better if you bring in like a more like a, a more modern mind or something like that. And I completely get that, but again, I mean, I'm with Jalen. Maybe another year, maybe could have been like better for them, but at the same time, I think I still think it's a W. You gotta listen to your stars, man. You just gotta listen to your stars, especially if you're a market like New Orleans who doesn't get them very often. Let's move on to this next statement, and another firing happened yesterday. I think this went under the radar. Donnie Nelson, um, the GM of the Dallas Mavericks for about the last 25 years, apparently, just left. I mean, there was this wasn't a firing. This wasn't a mutual firing. He just wanted to leave the Dallas Mavericks organization. And obviously, there was a report earlier this week saying that... Um, um, Luka Doncic is not very happy with the with the organization. This whole article came out, and there's a lot of tensions within that Mavericks organization. I'm gonna start off with Jalen with this one. I mean, is I'm gonna give you the um, this statement. The Mavs are in more trouble than we think. Are you hot, cold, or just right on that? I'm hot TV, and it's because of the fact that. Me and Ryan have been texting back and forth for the last two minutes. A Walsh bomb dropped that Rick Carlisle also stepped down as the head coach for next season. Oh, so, oh my goodness. I just saw that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's breaking news so, right here. That is breaking news on the show. For right real, here. bro. So literally, what is I going think that, on? This is perfect. I think, I think that it literally doesn't get any more interesting than that because now they're in a situation where from a front office and a head coaching standpoint, they're going to be looking out for a lot of people who can change this offensive philosophy. And I think the interesting thing about that is they kind of need it, right? I think this thing that uh, there's this word that's been thrown out a lot about ISO ball lately when it comes to these um star-driven teams like like with a guy like Luka Doncic, for example, for example, and it's this idea of having a heliocentric offense, right? An offense that's basically ran through one guy and everybody else just kind of has to figure out where they lie in the in the totem pole of things. And unfortunately, a guy like Luka Doncic 
just cannot last four quarters being that guy. We saw that a lot during the playoffs, and I think that that was one of the biggest things was that sometimes they had a hard time closing out some of those games. If you realize um, a lot through their series with the Clippers, the biggest thing that helped the Mavericks win was very uncharacteristic three-point shooting. It wasn't taking the the Clippers out of their element. If anything, it was putting them in their element in terms of how they lose games, in terms of not being able to hold on to leads. But the fact that they were able to shoot the three so well was the main thing that was that that helped them in doing so. So I think that this both moves are kind of interesting because I think it's going to have an in, uh, an impact on the personnel. A guy like Christos Porzingis has been making a lot of noise apparently about his role on the team and now in terms of the the team's overall philosophy moving forward i think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the head coaching position and in the front office because between Kristaps and tim hardaway jr specifically they got some decisions to make and luka Doncic isn't that far out in terms of um, making some contract uh having some contract discussion start so i'm hot i think the dallas mavericks got to figure something out yeah, oh my goodness, breaking news right there. I mean, like once you mentioned <laughs> that, I had to check my phone, and I'm like, because my phone's on Do Not Disturb, and I looked, I'm like, oh my goodness, it actually did happen. Um, Rick Carlisle, breaking news, just stepped down as the Mavs head coach. Crazy, crazy, but throwing it back to Ryan, I mean, crazy news right now. I think with this news, it's going to definitely affect your answer. Are you hardcore just right? Is the Mavs in a lot more trouble than we think? I was about to say hot, but now I'm going to say just right. I think they're in a lot of trouble right now. Um, I think that this team is not a rebuilding. They're, they're not in the stage of rebuild. So I would not hit the panic button on the Dallas Mavericks just yet. However, there are a lot of questions now. What happens to Chris Porzingis? What happens to Tim Hardaway Jr.? What happens to who becomes the coach? It looks like, according to Luca, this is from Tim McMahon on ESPN. Luka Doncic is a strong supporter of Mavs assistant coach Jamal looks like Jam, Jamal Mosley. He's oh, got yeah. the things he's got the things that are needed for a head coach. Doncic said after Mosley's one game fill in in a win over the New York Knicks this season, he ha- he can be the head coach for sure. So we got Luka's opinion, and now <laughs> now you have another role to fill with the GM and uh, Donnie Nelson stepping down. So I feel like that they're going to have a lot of questions and. There, there's going to be a lot of time to answer some of these questions, but I think the Mavericks are a team that we're going to be keeping our eye on in the off season for sure. Yeah, um, I was going to say just right. I think people shouldn't be like over the top, but after this news, I mean, it looks like they're just cleaning house right now. I mean, what Carla has like has been like the longest tenured coach besides Greg Popovich in this league. He was there for 13 seasons, and now he stepped down. It looks like they're like listening to Luca, like this is feels like a LeBron type of thing where it's like Luca's voice is like number one in the organization next to Mark Cuban. And now he's calling the shots. I mean, Luca's only in his um, fourth season going into, and he really has this type of power. That's crazy. So yeah, I'm hot. I think that the Mavs are still trying to figure this stuff out. This Luca Doncic is not like Dirk Nowitzki, who is kind of like a quiet superstar who like just kind of goes with things. Luca has a voice, and he wants to win. He has made that very, very clear. So, I mean, that's definitely interesting. I think I was gonna go just right before this news, but I'm gonna go with hot now. This is gonna be very, very interesting. And that's this is another... affecting all of our answers <laughs> <laughs> for sure, man. I thought I was gonna go just right, but I'm definitely hot now. So yeah, Rick Carlisle out as the head coach. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks is gonna be one of those teams. Probably gonna be the most like interesting to see what they're gonna be able to do this off season. Let's move on to this. I mean, sad news again. Um, 
Chris Paul, Chris Paul yesterday um, was diagnosed with COVID. I mean, we like we thought we were past that as the NBA, and now this happened. He got diagnosed with COVID, and he could possibly miss a chunk of the Western Conference Finals. I'm gonna throw it to Ryan right now. The the, uh, the Suns can beat the Jazz or the Clippers without CP3. Are you hot cold or just right on that statement? The Jazz or the Clippers can beat the Suns without CP3. No, no, I mean no, the, the other way. The Suns can oh, beat the them. other way. Oh, the other way. Sorry about that. Um. Man, I'm going to go ahead and say just right because I don't know what the effect of CP3 off the floor is going to look like. I know that his effect in the last two games of the Denver series was definitely felt. I mean, he had a massive impact with two huge games, 27 points in game three, 37 in game four, especially with his veteran leadership on the floor. His basketball his basketball IQ as well, I think that's going to be missed if he's going to be out for the Western Conference Final Series. I mean, now now it's just up to Devin Booker to really kind of carry this team like he did in the bubble in that 8-0 run. I think if Devin Booker is able to have the games that he's been having right now or the games that he's been playing, I think that the Suns could actually pull out a victory against the Los Angeles Clippers or the Utah Jazz. I think that the Utah Jazz definitely are struggling, to say the least. I do think the Clippers going forward without Kawhi Leonard, I'm not sure if they're going to make the finals with just Paul George leading them. I do think Paul George is going to win them two or three games, but I don't think that he is the guy to lead this Clippers team, especially without Kawhi, to the finals. So I do think the Suns definitely have a chance in the Western Conference finals, depending on who they face, but definitely losing CP3, that's huge. Yeah, it's definitely massive. And I mean, that was the first news out of that busy news day. That absolutely was heartbreaking, especially because you knew that CBT was playing so good. But throwing it to Jalen, um, do you think the Suns like the Suns can get a win? Like, can they go to the finals without CP3? Are you hot, cold, or just right? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go just right. And I think the reason why I'm gonna put it that way is because there's been so much stock in the play of Chris Paul and shout out to him for making the all NBA team too. But Devin Booker is the truth, right? Mikael Bridges is really effective on the defensive end and has played relatively well on the offensive end as well. Jay Crowder stepped up within his position. The guy that I think everybody keeps forgetting, but then somehow remembers when only talking about this Denver Nuggets series is DeAndre Ayton has been that dude throughout these playoffs, which is kind of tricky, right? Because we've seen what Luka Doncic did. We've seen what Trey Young has been doing. And, you know, there's always been that comparison as to with those two guys going after a guy like DeAndre Ayton, should he have actually went number one? I'm not saying that he's better than Luka Doncic or Trey Young by any stretch, but he sure as heck is proving that he was worth being taken at that spot, especially with the way that he fits within this team. So, I think the interesting thing is that no matter who they face, Utah, or if they end up taking on the Clippers, DeAndre Ayton, by default, actually might even be the X factor of the series because it's going to be either his matchup with Rudy Gobert that's going to be huge, or if you're talking about going up against the Clippers, is it finally time for DeAndre Ayton to maybe be able to eat against Avika Zubac by chance? Is Ty Lue going to stick with the small ball where DeAndre Ayton can literally eat on the inside? It's a question of now these circumstances where they have to learn, they have to lean on whoever their next set of guys is. And if you tell me D book and DeAndre Ayton are those next set of guys, I'm feeling still pretty confident. But at the end of the day, Losing a guy like CP3 is still a big hit, so it's not, it's hard to sit there and just have supreme confidence in them. 
But yeah. like I said before, and two guys like that can't sleep on it. Yeah, I'm ju- I'm with you guys. I'm just right on this. I mean, the Chris Paul has just had such a big impact on this team all season long, and I think he is kind of like that voice of reason, the voice to like calm things down for this young team. So it's definitely something they're going to miss a lot going into this next series. But luckily for them, the other teams that they're facing are also facing some injury issues. In terms of the Jazz, you got the Donovan Mitchell situation and the Mike Conley. You don't know what's going to happen with Kawhi Leonard the rest of the series. So at the end of the day, it could be a sort of an even playing field. Who knows? But yeah, I am just right on this. They're definitely going to miss him. They're 100% going to miss Chris Paul. Hopefully he gets back soon. Hopefully, because he's vaccinated, hopefully he, that means he could be like even earlier coming into the series. But we're going to have to wait and see. I did, this is the NBA's worst nightmare, man. Having one of their top stars um, contract COVID with in the, in the Western Conference Finals, that is rough. Two more before we move on. Um, we The last award was announced yesterday. We had the Rookie of the Year award going to a mellow ball. Um, this guy had has like changed the whole culture in the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going to throw it over to Jalen. Lamelo ball deserves Rookie of the Year. Are you hot-coded just right on that? Um, I'm hot on it. I think that he deserved it. I think that his time on the floor was really um, impressive. I think the biggest thing, too, is that he was he was a rookie who was impactful to being able to lead the Charlotte Hornets to a potential playoff situation. Right. They were a six seed before he went down. And I think that should tell you a lot about his impact on the floor. You also also have to think about the fact that he was in a circumstance where. I mean, it was a crouchy backcourt. It still is a crouchy backcourt until, you know, they figure out what's going to take place with everything. Terry Rozier has been a guy who's been thrown out in trade rumors a lot as of late, which has been really interesting. Um, So I think that um, it's going to be really interesting to look at Charlotte moving forward. I think the next guy up that everybody knows is probably Anthony Edwards. But again, it's kind of similar to the same thing. uh, with Steph Curry, for example, right? If you were a guy who had who had Steph Curry as your league MVP, I think you had that more, you had that mindset more based off recency bias and the idea that in that second half of the season he was killing everybody. And I think Anthony Edwards was in a, in a very similar set of circumstances after um after uh, Beasley was I guess suspended and wasn't on the floor anymore. He was able to play his true two guard position and he played extremely well put that next to the fact that also carl anthony towns was playing at a really high level and was kind of starting to feel himself on the back end of the season and the timberwolves weren't showing up very well in the scoreboard or i guess well they were doing pretty well in that department but in the record books but in terms of their ability to like look a little bit better on the floor things were starting to kind of come together down the stretch. So I think that people who are leaning on the Anthony Edwards train kind of have a little bit more recency bias um, flowing through them. But I think at the end of the day, LaMelo Ball had an overall more impactful season between winning and just his overall statistical output. Yeah, 100%. Ryan, same to you. Does LaMelo Ball deserve um, Rookie of the Year? Hot, cold, or just right? I would say hot, but I'm slightly hot. I would say that... With LaMelo Ball, he was definitely the most impactful rookie to his team, especially with what he did throughout the season, making sure that Charlotte was always staying in games. His ability to facilitate, his court vision got better, his shot-making ability got better, uh, His should I say his decision-making um, got better as well. But I would say Anthony Edwards maybe gave him a run, especially with the last 20 games of the season. Um, Anthony Edwards was really, was really the most impactful rookie— the, the most impactful rookie outside of LaMelo Ball throughout the entire season. But 
you know, the argument that you could give for Anthony Edwards being the the uh, rookie of the year was that he played all 72 games, which was something that was a cause for debate with last year's rookie of the year race with John Moran and Zion Williamson. A lot of people wanted, uh, a lot of people favored Zion because Zion is an amazing athlete and the stats definitely showed it, but he had only played like 24 games up to that point, whereas job played almost a full season. So there's definitely always going to be the debate. I think everybody's always going to have their case for who should have been rookie of the year. I think LaMelo definitely earned it this year, but Anthony Edwards gave him a run for his money. Yeah, I am just right on it as well. I mean, um, Anthony Edwards was my pick for rookie of the year just because I thought that the games missed was just going to like kind of edge out Anthony Edwards in this, but Lamelo Ball won it. I'm not mad at it at all. I was like, I was actually hoping he would probably win it because he, like you guys mentioned, he had the biggest impact out of every out of all the rookies. He changed the culture there, and they made it to a playing tournament. I mean, that's just like that's good progress on the Hornets themselves. And Lamelo looks like he is going to be one of those like young superstars if he just continues to like stick with it. He looks like he has a bright future in this league. Not to take anything away from Anthony Edwards because not only did he play well in the second half of the season, but he massively improved in terms of efficiency, in terms of the way he was playing. I mean, he was getting more opportunities, and he definitely did step up to the plate and take them. I wouldn't have been mad with any of them. I chose Anthony Edwards, but LaMelo Ball, I'm not mad whatsoever. Congratulations to him for winning MVP. Final one before we sign out. Um, You've seen the amount of injuries that's been happening here. We talked about the Mike Connolly injury. We talked about the Kawhi Leonard injury, the whole Chris Paul situation. LeBron James went on a rant yesterday on Twitter talking about how these injuries have started to pile up and he knew this was going to happen. Nine all nine All-Stars already in this playoffs have had to miss some sort of time because of injury. So, to end things off, the final hot, um, hot quarter just right. The NBA should have been postponed longer until mid-January. Let's start off with Ryan. Do you think, are you hot quarter just right on that statement? Hot. Absolutely hot. I think that, again... This is another situation where health matters, and I think when you when you take into account that the players played 72 games this year, essentially on a shortened schedule with not a lot of rest time and the amount of injuries, I think that's all the evidence that you need that this should have been a 50 or 55 game season. Now, especially when LeBron James is talking, people are going to listen, and I think people are probably going to act, and especially and the people that I'm actually referring to probably the NBA, most of all. But I think that when, when you're talking about the health of the players, that's definitely most important. I think the injuries, especially with the amount of injuries to the star players of the, of the NBA, like LeBron James, like Anthony Davis, I think that's, that's probably the biggest concern going forward. Yeah. And going back to Jalen, do you think like should the NBA have been the NBA should have been postponed to mid January? Are you hot cold or just right on it? Mm, I think I'm hot on that too. I think the biggest thing too for me is if they weren't going to postpone it, I would still think that the shortening of the games, the shortening the uh, the season overall, I think is the other best idea. Um, I mentioned this on our podcast beforehand that I genuinely believe that one of our best NBA seasons, regular season-wise, was probably that 55-game lockout year that we had. Um, Probably one of the most competitive seasons we've ever seen. And I think that that's something that could be really interesting to play around with moving forward. I understand that when it comes to TV rights and local television and radio and things like that, it gets a little tricky in terms of where the money lies and everything like that. 
But I think people are more likely to tune in when they know that there's less games and they know that there's a lot more on the line. And it's not like the NBA is afraid to break away from tradition or anything because we realize that with the play-in tournament, the NBA has never been more exciting in the last two weeks of the regular season. Usually that's where the tankathon gurus go crazy in terms of messing around with the different sims and trying to figure out who's going to end up with the first overall pick based on the teams dropping games left and right. But we saw in those last two to three weeks with the playing tournament that it was a huge success because a lot of players, a lot of people fan wise and a lot of TV shows in terms of a lot of these debate shows we all listen to were really tuned in to some of these bottom tier teams that were fighting for their playoff lives. So it wouldn't be a surprise for me for for them to necessarily step away from this traditional aspect of going the 82 game season. And yes, they kind of did that on a short whim this year, but I think they could trim it even more and still see really positive results. So whether it was starting later or or taking away games, I think that the NBA definitely should have made a a, a more proper adjustment. Yeah, I mean, there's the it was the shortest off season in American sports history, 71 games since the end of the NBA Finals. I mean, it was it was going to be a rough turnaround, and you saw what happened with the Miami Heat. You saw what happened with the Los Angeles Lakers. They definitely felt the effects of that, and I mean, it affected the rest of the players too, especially those in the bubble. I mean, you see some of the top stars right now all getting injured, and it's really hurting kind of the quality of the playoffs. I mean, it's starting to lose its juice. So I guess I'm hot on it as well. I really thought that you know. Um, I was hoping that it would still go smoothly, but these injuries are starting to pile up. You could tell us because of like you know the fatigue from the season and all that. So, I mean, I don't think that they're going to be able. To, the NBA is looking to um, lessen more games, even though I think it's better. I think it's better just to be viewing. But they're not missing out on those on those revenue money. They're not going to be missing out on this. At the end of the day, it's a business, and that's what bit them in the bottom here. I mean, LeBron even called it out at the end. I mean, he knows it's a business, but you got but. The business can only go so far if your top guys, the ones who are bringing in the money, are not playing. And you see that just happening with Chris Paul. It's gonna, it might happen with Kawhi Leonard. Who knows? So I'm definitely hot on that. They kind of missed the boat on that, and now they're kind of paying for it. I mean, I saw a tweet on Twitter saying, "If you think I'm watching a Utah Jazz Atlanta Hawks NBA Finals, you're tripping." So, <laughs> so I mean, I'm not saying that there's gonna be a possibility. I mean, and, and let's be honest, even if that's the case, we're probably still gonna watch it, but. Um, yeah, it's. I don't think it's something that the NBA is oh, hoping, man. is really hoping for. But yeah, I'm hot. They, that definitely should um, have been a, a longer offseason for sure. I think this is where we're going to end things. I'm going to throw it over to you guys. Where can they find you? Drop your social media handles and what you have upcoming for the rest of these playoffs and just going in, like, going forward for your podcast. Whew. We have a lot going for going forward. We're talking NBA playoffs. We're talking WNBA season. You can find us at the Hoop Talk Pod on Instagram. My personal Instagram is rlushko underscore ten. Everybody, go give us a follow. Everybody, rate our podcast five stars on Apple. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We have a lot in store. Jalen, take it away. Yes, sir, bro. Like you said beforehand, a lot of stuff going on with the WNBA season going on as well. NBA playoffs is going crazy with this new coaching news. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about in the next episode as well. My personal Instagram is uh, Jalen's World, J-A-L-O-N-S World, W-O-R-L-D. Uh, check us check out uh, check me out and of course like I said before like Ryan said beforehand the hoop talk pod on Instagram we're gonna hop to have to hop on that Twitter sphere too because there's a lot of crazy stuff taking place over there so we're gonna be there soon 
Yeah, hundred percent. I've been on their podcast before. It's a lot of good talks. I'll have all the descriptions to their Instagrams in the description and the link tree, all that good stuff. But yeah, I think this is where we're gonna end things. Thank you guys for watching. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Like, share, subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you won't miss an episode. Follow at TV on Basketball on all the social media networks, um, and just um, show love on all the podcast networks. Speaking of the WNBA, I gotta get on that too because I watched a couple of games this season, and man, that stuff is that that stuff is actually fun to watch. Yes, and I'm sorry. And I'm starting to really like Sabrina. Like, what's her like? What's her last name? Ionescu. Ionescu. Yeah, and I'm starting to be a big fan of her. So hopefully, I can like, um, I can get into it like when like the offseason rolls around and like their playoffs start. But yeah, definitely go check them out. Remember to check out my stuff. This is where we're gonna end things. Thank you guys for watching. Hope you all have a fantastic day. Thank you guys for all the support. That's Jalen. That's Ryan. The Hoop Talk Pod. This is TV. Hope you all have a fantastic day. Take it easy, guys. Peace.